From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant good morning to you. We're a little bit late here because, um, I don't know. Uh, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. My name is Patrick Timpone. We try to start at 10, but, you know, sometimes it, things don't work. We're going to be with you a little bit uh, later after we talk with our, our good friend Fred Jashevsky in the real world of money. Uh, and we're going to talk about the winds of change. It is windy everywhere in this country, and the winds of change are in the air with everything, whether it be spiritually, monetarily, geopolitically. I mean, things are moving, baby. So the show will be called The Winds of Change, and we'll get underway probably an hour or so, a little bit after we talk with Fred. He usually spend an hour or so with Mr. Fred Jashevsky. If you'd like to be on the show, our 800 number is working. It is a 888 number, 663 6386. If you have questions about gold and silver, numismatic coins collecting, or the real world of money, Fred is our man here on the first Monday, the first Wednesday of every month, and that would be today, April 5th, as we are live here a little bit after 10 o'clock Central Time. Fred's a good friend, uh, Fred, <laughs> whatever, I think I can say it, and he is the former partner of Andrew Goss. Andrew left us about three years ago or so. Uh, Andrew and Fred. Uh, began this company, which was called SDL, years and years ago. And they got together and started selling numismatic coins. And uh, 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 Andrew left us, that rascal. Uh, he wasn't supposed to, but he did three years ago and went off to uh, the other worlds. And so Fred regrouped his company, rebooted. It is U.S. Coin Capital now. And uh, he's here with us on the first Wednesday of every month. And we talk about all things money and his business and gold and silver. Hi, Fred. Good morning, Patrick. <laughs> How you doing? Okay. You were just telling me. So, uh, just one one correction. It's <laughs> April sixth, not April fifth. Oh, April sixth. Well, I was close, Fred. And I, I only point that out because this is my. Uh, I have twin nieces, and it is their respective birthdays well, today. So, happy twi- birthday happy to my birthday twin nieces. Happy birthday to twin. And, and where do they reside? These twin girls. Oh, New York and New Jersey. Uh-huh. So they're twins, but they don't kind of live in the same city. They split up a little. No, no. One's married with kids. The other one lives up upstate New York. Um, so two different places, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were Northeast me, area. I asked you how you were doing before the show and, you know, how's business? And you said, I, you tell me, tell folks what you told me. Uh, you know, I've never been this busy. Uh, you know, wow. I'm pushing close to 40 years in, in being involved in this market. And... This past year or so has been absolutely stunning. Uh, the volume of transactions has exploded. Hmm. The sizes of the transactions have increased. Demand across the board is larger. Uh, we're experiencing lots of interesting issues as we move forward. Here's an interesting anecdotal strange quirk. So some <laughs> of our customers may know if they buy large quantities of coins from us, there are these, uh, we call them row boxes. And there are these plastic square boxes that the grading service NGC provides. Yeah. And they're maybe, uh, you know, four inches tall and two or three inches across and about, uh, you know, eight, ten inches long. And they stack about 20 coins. So you take a certified NGC coin, it stands upright and it has slots. And 20 coins will line up in the slots and you have this row box. Oh, yeah. I've got and one of those boxes. These. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one of those. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're gray. Pro- yeah. uh, they got yeah. cool yeah. ones in red. Right, right, right. So, of all the things that we're having problems with, we're out of row boxes, and <laughs> NGC is saying 
they can't get supplies of Roboxes and they don't know when we'll be able to replace them. You know, it's just <laughs> one of the weirdest quirks of supply chain economic problems that the, the shipping boxes that we use to send quantities of coins have suddenly become difficult to get. So Fred, forget I'll, the quantity of yeah, coins forget the being coins, hard. Yeah. So, so we have to be clear, we have new people all the time uh, join us from all around the world. And uh, you buy and sell gold and silver numismatic coins. They were made at the mint. There's a limited supply. You don't do bricks, bars, bullion, those kind of things, right? No. That's real clear. That's what you do. And even the coins that are not graded, pre-65, is it 64 or 65, Freddie? Well, 64 is the last year that there's silver. So technically, if you say pre-65, that, that kind of covers it. These are dimes and quarters and halves and silver dollars. Half dollars, right. They're half dollars that are not graded, but they're called currency silver, and they have a lot of silver in them, so you sell those as well. But that's what you that's what you provide, nothing else. You don't do the... Right. Like, I can't order a, a two-pound brick, brick of gold from you. Let me tell you something. The regulations on bullion, which is why I don't do it. Yeah. I, I've always had a problem with it fundamentally. Um, I thought the values were much more appropriate for investors to buy something where the supply was fixed. Mm -hmm. So I always thought the coins made more sense. I've also been a big fan of the idea that uh, if you're protecting your wealth, and that what we're saying here is protecting against that U.S. paper dollar, right, that paper note yes, we sir. all trade in, I thought the idea was more appropriate to have legal constitutionally issued money. So that precluded the idea of the bars and, and all that from the very beginning. What's really beginning to happen, and part of the reason I had hesitated to deal with it, was because the government regulations started to get more and more restrictive. So they are really becoming very, very strong about regulating bullion transactions because there's a massive amount of money laundering being conducted by bullion traders. And huh. even the refiners are complicit in it. You know, there's illegal gold being transferred up from like South American countries and, and being mine, uh, you know, melted by the uh, bullion refiners and then sold for cash. And then the cash is sent back down to South America. And, you know, because of this massive amount of money laundering, the government has regulated the bullion market. So they've imparted the regulations through the system down to us as dealers. Because their presumption is, if you have, for example, chunks of gold that you've either found in the earth or you have bars of gold, we have no way of knowing where that originally came from. But if they force me as a dealer to file a 1099B on you with your social security number, your name address, and how much you sold, anytime you try to liquidate that particular material, they know that they're covering the money laundering problem by making it a regulatory issue so that none of these transactions occur in the dark anymore. Wow. And they're becoming progressively more strict. So are you, are you suggesting that they're, it's always going on, I guess, Freddie, but um, where if I would go somewhere and buy, I don't know, what do they sell those gold bars in like the you see in the movies? What are, what are they... Uh, well, there are, the ones in the movies are fun. They're, they're usually either 100 or 1,000-ounce bars. 1,000-ounce um, bar. They've gotten better about this in, in Hollywood. Originally, they'd have guys picking up these 1,000-ounce bars with one hand and <laughs> you know waving them around like it was nothing. Those things weigh 60 pounds 60 each. 60 pounds. Okay. And, so yeah, I buy a 60-pound gold bar. Excuse me. But if I buy a 60-pound gold bar and I pay whatever that is, we could do the math here this morning, 
I wouldn't really, I could possibly be buying something that wasn't really gold. No, it's probably going probably to be gold. gold. Probably um, going to be gold. You know, the the issue of of whether it's legitimate or not, yeah. it's always been a, a part of the problem. There are pretty well-known refiners, though. Okay. Um, like a lot of things in life, you know, if you go to respectable refiners, uh, they put their stamp on it. It, for the most part, eliminates the issue of whether it's real. The bigger problem, though, is the regulatory issues. The regulatory issues. So if I buy a gold bar and I I got to do a 1099 or the, the seller's got to do a 1099 and all when that. When you sell it. When you, oh, when I sell, wait a minute. Not when I buy it? Nope. Oh, but when I sell it, say I want to sell, so gold goes up $500. I say, okay, I'm going to sell it. I got to do a 1099 on the whole thing when I sell it. Right. Which means you're going to have to prove your cost basis because uh, if you can't, then the entire amount that shows up on the check that I write to you looks like income oh. and will be counted as income on your tax return. So I'd have to prove my and they cost. They will be looking. <laughs> I have to prove my cost. Yeah, you have to make sure you keep your cost basis and keep a record of it, a legitimate record of it. Interesting. So this is how they're trying to, uh, again, regulate this industry. Yes. Sir. They're forcing the compliance on us as dealers. And you know, what they forced me to do, not only filing those 1099Bs on anybody who sells me bullion, but they also make my entire business follow all of the anti-money laundering rules, which means I'm supposed to operate the way banks are supposed to operate when they started the war on cash. No, you know your customer so, and all that. Right, right. You remember all that. So how they dealt with the cash problem of saying if you had 100000 in cash and try to conduct commerce... They instituted the 1099 rule and the 1088 rules saying that if you walked into your bank or you try to buy a car with more than 10000 in cash, the transaction itself became reportable. It didn't matter where the money came from. It was the transaction that had to be reported. Then they instituted this rule where they gave it to the banks and let them say it's a know your customer obligation on the, on the, on the head of the teller. You know, a teller who, who's you know, to know not a banker. This is not this is a teller. This is a higher job, right? So they're supposed to say, well, this transaction Patrick is doing is suspicious. Ooh. So I'm going to file a 1088 <laughs> or 1099 and make sure that the transaction is reported. So they prevented uh, people from, let's say, if you were doing this, money laundering and bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars in cash and depositing it in the banks. However... As we know, a lot of the big banks, the ones that we call the boys, right? The guys that are the top tier guys. Yeah. They have been participating in money laundering schemes for so long. I'm shocked. They've gotten caught with their hands <laughs> in the till. I mean, I mean, the worst offenders like HSBC were directly all over the world taking hundreds of millions of dollars in cash transactions from well-known criminal activity and letting them open up accounts and deposit those funds into their accounts. Yeah. And they got caught and nobody went to jail. You know, they paid fines. They paid fines and the billions of dollars that accounted for maybe five or six days worth of their revenue stream. <laughs> so it effectively did nothing. So there's been a lot of complicit nonsense yes, going on, but they are forcing individual bank tellers for the you and I individuals, you know, we don't get away with that too big to jail nonsense. You know, we, we will go to jail if we are found guilty of money laundering. So yeah, yeah. they're so, trying to make me 
operate the same way with bullion, the way the banks are trying to operate. So to be clear, this is why you don't deal in bullion. You don't want to be involved in any of this stuff. And you, at U.S. Coin Capital, just do numismatics, constitutional money that are graded by uh, two different grading systems. And there's, they're all, it's a private transaction all the way around. Correct. You could sell me a hundred million dollars worth of numismatic coins. I write you a check. It is up to you to report any gains that you've made, but I am not obligated to take any personal information. I'm not required to file any forms with any government agencies, and I do not. So it's it's you're treated like an adult. You know, you're responsible for your own actions in this industry, and it's not up to me. Like a, like a parent overwatching a child to dictate to you that, hey, I have to take this personal information and send it to daddy who wants to know about what you're doing. Hmm. Wow. So that's why you and Andrew, when you, you got involved in it with numismatics and not the bullion, that's one of the and main. And the other reason, which yeah. we brought up earlier, is the difference in supply. So what I really love and what always has intrigued me about uh, the numismatic side of the world is that we know in 1964 that the U.S. government ended the production of these dimes, quarters, and half dollars. They, they stopped did. making them. They just did. So that's it. That's it. It ended at that point. Uh, when it was gold, it ended in 1933 when Roosevelt was still president. We stopped production of U.S. gold coins. So they can't go back in time to produce more to add supply. So that meant we already knew what the maximum available number of these things that existed could possibly be. All we had to do was count the number of coins that they minted, which they kept perfectly great, accurate records of. Mm. We know how many of these things were produced. We also know that major melting of gold and silver coins, which, believe it or not, is actually illegal, but it has occurred historically. In 1933, there was a massive melting of pre-33 gold coins. In 1980s, there was massive melting of silver coins, which was not supposed to occur, Hmm. but it has. And that leaves us again with whatever is left in the world today as that fixed supply. And it is having an impact. Um, I think you and I have talked about how uh, years ago, probably when you and Andy first started together, silver dollars were still part of what we called the the junk silver. Yeah, yeah. In other words, they were readily available the same way dimes, quarters, and half dollars were at the same kind of premiums over melt. But over the years, they began to separate themselves because there were just less silver dollars in the world than there were of the other size coins. It turned out they minted the silver dollars only up to 1935. But the other silver coins, they continued to mint until 1964. So we had about 30 years more production of those smaller size coins, and a lot more of them were minted than the large dollar size. Over the years, the dollars separated themselves and now carry more than 100% premium over the amount of silver in them, even for the worst quality circulated silver dollar. Explain what you mean. So silver today is, I don't know, I don't have my chart up, but silver today is, let me look real quick. About 24 and change. You, you probably know uh, better than I, I got it here. Uh, I got 24.51. So 20, say 25, $24.51 for an ounce of silver. Then what's a silver dollar cost? Silver dollar, you couldn't buy one for less than about 40 bucks. Really? Wow. So and it has 0.77 ounces wow. of actual silver. So, so it only has about $20 or so in melt value but it carries a premium of over 100% more than its melt value, even in circulated condition. Because? Now, this is starting to happen with half dollars. We've had six 
price increases on the half dollars over the quarters and dimes since January of this year. Whoa, really? Six times. Just supply and demand, just supply and demand. Just the supply and demand problem is pressuring the half dollar market now to where, uh, you know, we're at eight and a half dollars over spot on half dollars now. You've never seen so this. a half dollar selling for thirty times face value. You know, it's about fifteen bucks for a half dollar today, um, which is f- perfectly appropriate. But it goes to the point of why I've always loved the idea of the fixed supply, because those people that happen to have purchased half dollars, quarters, and dimes, they benefit not only from that upward pressure on the price of silver itself, but any additional value that the physical form that they hold that silver in might carry on its own. So if you bought silver dollars 20 years ago and only paid 15 or 20% over melt, you've gained not only from the price of silver going up, but also that additional premium you can now get if you were selling silver dollars. Which has been your whole argument with numismatics, uh, constitutional money, and a limited supply from yep. day one. Day one. And I've always compared this to the other side of the coin, no pun intended, <laughs> which is the uh, ability to print paper money. Yeah. So well. we run an economy on paper money. We have since 1971, we've floated money in the United States that's not backed anymore by any form of anything, especially gold and silver, so that the supply of paper money is not constrained, unlike the supply of the gold and silver coins. So over time, what's happening is these two things are diverging. The difference between them is getting farther and farther apart. They used to be equivalent. You know, there was a time when a $20 paper bill was a $20 gold coin, a one ounce gold coin. They were the same thing. And then over the years, they started to separate themselves more and more apart. You know, so now it takes 2,500 of those paper bills to buy that same decent quality $20 gold coin. And there's no reason that should be the case, except we are running an economy in the United States with unbacked money. And we have a government that loves to spend more than it has. Oh. And as a result of that, ends up having to print a lot more money to solve its economic problems. And coming out of this pandemic the past two years, I mean, it has been a global pandemic. But in the U.S. alone, the supply of money has increased by over 40% that's just, in a two-year time frame. That's just crazy. You know, I've seen that number, but I don't understand how that's even possible. Um uh, we're talking with Fred Jaszewski. If you'd j- like to join the show, 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. And um, so I, I've read that, but Fred, it can't be 40%, is it? I mean, they've only they've only created, haven't they, five or six, seven only trillion dollars in the last couple of years? That's not 40%. Okay. So I, I'm, no, there's more than that. What right? am I missing? You're, you're only looking at the Fed's balance sheet. Right. Okay, that's just the Federal Reserve's balance sheet that's gone up by $5 trillion. So remember, the Fed had on its balance sheet debt right. in the form of bonds that it buys from the U.S. Treasury. Uh, this is a way the Federal Reserve pushes money into an economy is it goes to the U.S. Treasury it writes a check out of a checking account that has nothing in it. Right. It deposits that check with the U.S. Treasury and gets back in exchange a note from the U.S. government that pays interest. Yes. So effectively, the Fed has loaned money to the government on a promise it would get repaid with interest on its loan. Si, senor. The Federal Reserve has increased its supply of that debt 
by about $5 trillion in two years. Yes, I'm looking at stunning. it now. We're at $9 trillion this morning. Well, six point eight. I'm sorry, eight point nine, something like that. Yeah, nine trillion. Should be just around nine trillion. Nine trillion, right? So that's just what the Fed bought from the Treasury when they created those dollars, right? Five trillion. Right. Beyond that, we've also printed additional money. We sent stimulus checks to everybody in America. Wait, 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 though. Wait, wait, though. That's got to go through the Fed. The, the, the Treasury doesn't create the money. Uh, well, the Treasury again utilizes the ability to run up debt by saying, okay, we don't have this money, so we're gonna go ahead and simply print checks, and we're gonna draw from the ability of the Federal Reserve to back us up, knowing that the Fed will cover whatever we do. Oh, so okay, let's slow down There's additional so, financing gimmickry going on. Oh, oh, cooking the books, eh? So, and I, I understand. Bit. See, I, I was under the impression that to print the checks, they would, they would create a a, a treasury bond, get the money in treasury, and then print the checks. You're suggesting that's not necessarily true. They can print the checks. Well, that's not the whole. That's not the whole picture. Okay. So that accounts for part of it. But again, I guarantee you that there has been <laughs> lots uh, of money. You know, how do we want to put it? A little finagling of the yeah. numbers, uh, <laughs> where we're creating a lot more money than okay. uh, than is really being reported the way that you would a, a, account for it if you were running an actual business. Yeah, so who's going to check result, at that level, right? Who's going to know? Well, oh, it's hard. Who's it's gonna really know? hard. It's difficult to get the information. I mean, you and I have gone to the you know the Federal Reserve's uh, information on Fred, right? Fred. Yeah. So we've looked at that stuff, and and you can follow that, but it's you know you, you almost need an accounting degree or an MBA in order to uh, you know dissect it all. But the end result of this is the total supply of money that existed. Yeah from two years ago to now has changed by a factor of an increase of 40%. That's my This is why people are beginning to experience inflationary problems that the Federal Reserve now has to deal with. And it has really put itself into a very awkward position yeah. and surprisingly uh, has been surprised. So surprisingly surprised? Yeah, that sounds funny. Um, you know, the Fed constantly reiterates that it's surprised by the rate of inflation that they're seeing in the economy now. Yet they knew they printed all this money. They knew they sent out stimulus checks. They knew the Fed's balance sheet had exploded. They knew the supply of money had expanded. Yet when the numbers started to come out and filter through the economy, the Fed was shocked. Now they face a problem of saying, <laughs> okay, we've released the beast. The inflation beast is back. It's been dormant since the 1980s. I mean, it's been 40 years since the U.S. economy has experienced inflation at the levels we have right now. There's an entire generation has never lived through what inflation feels like in an, in an economy. And it's hitting them hard because it's experiencing changes that people see now. And we've talked about this a hundred times that by the time you feel the impact of inflation, in the terms of higher prices that you're paying, yes, sir. That is an after effect of all of, of that all the has money happened prior. To the that. money printing and all—it's come down the system, right? right? It's filtered down. So by the time it gets to uh, milk or eggs or meat or whatever, which is going up, um, right, it, a lot, been, and it, rent and rent. It's been it's been and a mortgage lot. rates More and interest rates. Everything's going up. 
And herein lies the problem. So now the Fed says, okay, we have an economy that we're coming out of a recession. Uh, we're coming out of an extremely slow-moving, almost recessionary economy. How do you move an economy forward? Well, you do things like lower interest rates, or you do what's called quantitative easing if lowering interest rates isn't sufficient. And that's what the Fed did, because even though they lowered rates down to zero, uh, it wasn't enough. And since they couldn't go negative, they took another approach. They got very creative and said, well, we can institute something called quantitative easing, which is the Fed buys lots of debt and effectively does the same thing as lowering interest rates. It pushes more money into the economy to make it cheaper and more readily available for everybody to borrow. Who took advantage of that? The big corporations in the United States. They borrowed all this cheap money and used it to buy their stock. Hmm. So which they drove the stock values is. higher and higher. Yeah, which is why the market where it is today, right? right? Yeah. But not because the company made more profit, but because they were able to borrow money for next to zero. And if they could raise their stock price by two or three percent or four percent, well, right? that's profitable. Yeah. So that's what was done. Now the Fed is facing the reverse problem. They now have to start quantitative tightening. Now, Brainerd, uh, one of the Fed governors, said yesterday, first of all, that inflation was too high, which I think is funny. Again, it's, it's as if they're just waking up to the problem that they created. It's like me climbing a ladder and, and keep going up the ladder rings and rungs, and I get to, you know, way up there. And then I look down and go, oh, I'm too high. I'm too high, yeah. I'm way too high off the ground. I, I need to come down. How did I get here? Well, you kept climbing the rungs of the ladder. So the Fed kept printing money and lowering rates and doing quantitative easing until they pushed so much money into the economy, they were managing to move it forward, but at what cost? The cost is they flooded the streets with cheap money, which is diluting the value of the money that you and I are trying to save, but it's also now gonna force the cost of money to go up. So if you've noticed in the last month, uh, mortgage rates crossed 5% yesterday Did for the first really? time in- 30-year fixed? Years. 5%, wow. Five percent. I had no idea they went. That number, well, that, that went up pretty quickly, didn't it? Wow. Yeah, it sure did. Whoa. I mean, weren't they about three so and a half remember, percent a few months ago? Yep. And remember that the government carrying debt is paying interest on the debt. The interest payments on the government debt is the second largest item in its government budget. Yes, it is. So as interest rates go up, the carrying cost of those tens of trillions of debt also increase, which leads the government to want more money. To borrow How more are we going to get that? Yeah. Well, we're going to borrow. Tax more from you, or print more, print. one or the other. And the printing has created its own problem. So now the Fed has a problem. It's overprinted. It should have started to slow down this quantitative easing and this low interest rate environment a year ago, but it didn't. And because it hesitated, it has now waited too long, and it's going to have to get very aggressive if it intends to do anything to fight off all the inflation that we're now beginning to experience because of the money they printed. If they go too far too fast, we get a recessionary economy again. Mm -hmm. After having done all, everything we've done in the past few years, we're back where we started with 40% more money in the system. Fred, they're talking about raising the federal funds for another maybe 50, they'll probably do 25 again next month and then 25. But with all this money slashing around, is that really going to make the price of gas or meat or milk or eggs go down? Not really, is it? Well, that much won't 
you know, they're going to have to do a lot more. And this is the problem. How far do you have to raise rates to fight back this inflation beast? Right. How much would you Will do? Will half a point do it? I don't think so. You know, most people are saying it's going to have to go up two and a half percent. And they're calculating that, well, that means we're going to have to have six or seven of these rate hikes. And people are saying, well, if you do that, if you raise rates six or seven times in a short period of time, you know, less than a year, you're going to force an economic slowdown. And then what do you do? Because you've already played every hand in your toolbox to fight off the recession coming out of the pandemic. You're going to be back to where you started if you raise rates too quickly. You won't have solved the inflation problem. And where does that leave you? It leaves you with a with a potential for stagflation, which is probably the worst case scenario. Which is what happened in the seventies, right? When they raised rates yeah. up to fifteen percent. An economy that isn't right. moving, but inflation's still going up. Right. That's Stag a real bad scenario. For the so tell folks why um, the the interest rate hikes big picture slows down the economy and and gross domestic product. Because is, is it credit cards well, and car loans and everything? Yeah, it's, it's pretty much everything. everything. So imagine it from a standpoint of an individual. The cheaper it is for you to borrow money, the more likely it is that you will borrow yeah, money. Sure. Right? How likely are you to buy that high ticket item? How likely are you to take that mortgage on that expensive home? When the rates are cheap, that mortgage becomes much more affordable than when the rates go up. Uh -huh. uh, they've already said that the average mortgage will have increased with the new rates some four, five, six hundred dollars a month, you know, and that is wow. the difference between wow. maybe being able to make that mortgage payment or somebody now being priced out. So that's how you slow an economy down. You make the cost of borrowing money more expensive. Corporations will stop utilizing the game of buying cheap money and floating up their stock prices. Mm -hmm. So the stock values will not go up the way they did the past two years mm -hmm. simply because the companies are buying their own stock. If the stocks are going to go up from here forward, it's going to have to be on actual earnings, you know, real growth. Which they don't stock. have, do and they, most of them? Some of them have, some of them don't. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them got away with murder the past couple of years. <laughs> you know, there's been 30% increases in stock values just predicated on their ability to buy cheap money and float their own stock prices higher. So without the stock market going up, everything changes. When interest rates are going up, the entire economic environment is much more difficult. It's just not easy anymore. It's going to be harder for all this stuff to move forward. And again, on top of that, the Fed is worried that if they don't adjust rates fast enough, that the inflation beast will run amok. It'll just run amok, and they can't afford to have that happen either. Why not? Do they do they care about if uh, if it's a, a Democrat or Republican administration? Do they care? I don't think so. I mean, this seems to prevail uh, over the course of time, mm -hmm. regardless of who is president. They don't care. Right? And I, I love how everybody either gives credit to or blames a current administration <laughs> like for an economy fault, right? that they really, in, in effect, had nothing to do with. Well, you know, no, they no, take that's not true, though. I mean, the Biden administration and all this free money and Build Back Better and the Green New Deal and, and all the free stuff, that was oh, their sure. deal. Uh, that, that was their yeah, deal. Yeah, no, they're, they're complicit to okay. a degree in, yeah. in how they manage what they do. That was their deal, um, yeah. You know, some things that uh, were done in the past were very beneficial for the economy as a whole. Other decisions are not and, and are expensive. And again, like that Build Back Better program, I mean, things like that that are in the trillions of dollars, 
they don't come free because, again, the government doesn't have that pool of capital to draw from to pay these things. Sure. So it has to pretend somehow that either the economy is going to grow so much because of what they do that it can absorb all that debt, or in the end, they're just going to say, we're going to have to raise taxes, but don't worry, we'll tax the other guy. And it's never you. It's <laughs> always the other guy. <laughs> the rich guys. We're going to do yeah, that. Yeah, you never get, you, your taxes never go up. It's always going to be the other guy until that doesn't work. Oh, it's and then the only other recourse, when all else fails, we can always print more money. And that, to me, is the default mm. that has to become much more likely because I don't think the other possibilities make sense. I don't believe at all. I will state adamantly, there is no way we grow our way out of the debt that we've created. Not gonna do it. There is absolutely no scenario that the economy grows fast enough or large enough <clears throat> to absorb the ridiculous amount of money we've created. So let's say that's off the table. That leaves taxes or printing money. So I believe it'll be a combination of both. I think taxes are going to go up, and I think they're going to print a lot more money. And that, to me, means that person who is saving his capital needs to recognize that if the government goes ahead and continues to do this game of printing money to solve their problems, it does change the value of the money that people are saving. That paper dollar will lose purchasing power. It'll be inflated and diluted. And the only way to counterbalance that is to have in your assets the opposite side of that, something that actually will go up in purchasing power under inflation. And that is the exact idea of ownership of physical gold and silver coins. It's why people do it outside of the enjoyment and the fun of participating in the market and the comfort that people get in having that physical you know, pile of gold and silver. There's just something really it's settling for people. They feel a lot better about themselves when they have, you know, something real that they can physically hold and touch and say, okay, here is where my money really resides. Because I, I pose this question a lot to people. You know, you say you have assets. What are the assets that you own? And let's strip away your home because, you know, you might take an equity loan out, but you're not going to cut your house in half and, you know, use that to raise capital. So it's an all or nothing principle and you live there. So you're probably not utilizing that per se as an investment. Uh, outside of that, where is your wealth stored? What is it actually that you have that really constitutes money? And I, I really believe that if you think this through, you come back to this idea of constitutional money and recognize that that was a brilliant concept. And that's the way people should store long-term wealth. <laughs> what an idea. Fred Dostoevsky is with us. If you'd like to join us, 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. So at the beginning of the show, you said in all your 40 years, you've never been as busy. What do you attribute that to? I mean, this kind of information isn't it's not out there. you got to look for it. I mean, our shows are unique. There's other shows out there, but not a whole lot. I mean, people got to get really look at it to understand what's going on. So evidently there are a lot of people that are getting this whole fiat money system printing thing. And I'll tell you why. Right? Why? I think what's making it realistic and, and making people aware of it is the fact that they've done this so poorly and managed this money system so badly that it has now created a, an inflationary problem that an average person is experiencing. I see. That's what's going on. And again, remember on. now, we haven't really seen this in 40 years. 
So mm-hmm. it's not as if the past 40 years there weren't shenanigans going on. Yes, sir. Right? They've been doing all sorts of nonsense. I mean, 2008 was, uh, was unbelievable, and we can spend four hours just on that and the manipulation of the economy and everything that happened in 2012 and 2016. So for the past 40 years, we've been manipulating the economy, but it hasn't been as clearly visible until now when the inflationary numbers are growing and people see now that, you know, that pound of beef and the chicken and the gallon of milk and the cost of gasoline. And, And again, there are other variables in some of these products as well. But the overall impact of inflation is very visible in real terms to real people, even on a day-to-day anecdotal basis. Yeah, you know, mortgage rates so that's and, what's and going rent on. increases. That's what things that people have to deal yeah. with that they can't get around. So it raises a question in people's minds very quickly of what happened. You know, I was okay two years ago. I was making roughly the same income and managing my bills and saving now all of a sudden i'm coming up short what happened what's different and this awareness is driving people to rethink uh, especially their long-term savings because anybody who who can do the math and draw this line out and say if this is where we are today in 2022 what's this going to look like five years from now or 10 years from now the, the money supply, you know, there was roughly 10 trillion 10 years ago, you know, 20 trillion, 10 years, sorry, 10 years ago, 20 trillion. Today, there's about, let's say, roughly 30 trillion. So, you know, all this additional money that's been added into the economy, what will it be in 2030? Will it be another 10 trillion on top of what we have now? And what will that do to any savings that you have? So I think this is what is driving the volume of business that Your we're business seeing, that, you're seeing. Is that people are actually experiencing this in their day-to-day lives. And, and, and as you know, with the whole idea, supply and demand thing, everybody involved feels it and then they kick it up a little bit and I guess all the people you're buying stuff from, that's what happens and that's, that's the way it goes. Look at those, what'd you say, the silver dollars six times? Raised, how oh, half uh, dollars? Silver half dollars. Half dollars. Yeah. The premium have gone over up quarters and dimes, <laughs> they've separated themselves now six times since the first of this year. We're is, only in April. Is that right? So what's happening is supply and demand is beginning to, you know, show its nature. And there always were less half dollars. Uh, and we always knew that. But again, we got away with this for quite a while where they traded at the same premiums as dimes and quarters just like the silver dollars used to until it got to a point where just couldn't do it anymore you know the, the industry just couldn't handle it anymore um the market began to recognize the reality there are fewer of these and i watch dealers you know in this industry scrambling sometimes to get you know bags which are a bag is two thousand half dollars so they refer to a bag of silver as a thousand dollars in face in value. face value yeah Right. So 10,000 dimes, for example, is a bag. 4,000 quarters is a bag because that's a thousand face value. 2,000 half dollars is a bag of half dollars. 1,000 silver dollars, bag of silver dollars. And the premiums for bags of dollars and bags of halves, they just keep going up and keep going up and Mm. keep going up. Mm. And I have watched many of the largest dealers in this industry uh, periodically struggling 
to be able to get inventory. And it's about every, it, it seems like every three or four days, bids are going up, raising the prices. What you know, Dealers are posting, I'm paying more now than I did yesterday for silver. We'll buy at higher price than yesterday. We'll pay more. And they're constantly upping themselves one week to, because they just can't get enough inventory. Is the same thing and we going, will get to a point where, on, you know, ahead. this is going to become a real problem. Is the same thing going on, Fred, with the, the more uh, expensive, you know, like in, in the plastic cases of the St. Gaudens and those really popular, really numismatic coins? Are they going up as yes. well? As same thing quickly? is happening there. Really? Um, and, and again, there are a lot of different kinds of gold coins that exist from the real rare ones, which constantly are shattering prices when they come up for sale again. Uh, dealers are raising their prices of what they're willing to pay. And we're stuck in a kind of a weird uh, point where a lot of people don't want to pay a higher price. So what's happening is nothing. You know, it, it's it's as if if you want to buy it, you're going to have to pay more than the current price. It's like, um, you know, if you're selling your home in a hot market, you're probably not going to take an offer necessarily even at the price you asked for it because three or four people are offering above your, your sale price right the same thing is happening with these rarer coins a lot of people are trying to get them and they're trying to buy them at current prices no one wants to sell at that level they always want a little bit more so there are some transaction problems that are occurring uh, we just finished one of the larger regional shows in the northeast in baltimore this was a show it used to do you know three to five million dollars it was considered a pretty big weekend they did tens of millions this weekend, and the, the market demand was just massive, just massive. I mean, dealers were really saying that they uh, saw a very powerful show. Really, really interesting. So it's interesting. The dynamics are, are continuing to improve here's in this little, world. Here's a little peek at uh, Fred's business here. Got a little slide for you. It's His phone number is 800-878-2646, U.S. Coin Capital Eight hundred eight seven eight two six four four six. Pretty fun time to be around in the biz, Fred. Why not? You know, you might as well. Have some, yeah, have some I mean, fun, it, right? it's interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, struggling to maintain inventory is, you know, it, it's it's a dual-edged sword. You know, in one way, it's obviously very good to have a business that you know there's so much demand that you know you've, you're barely keeping up with the inventory. Uh, in other ways, you know, from a business standpoint, as a business owner, it certainly would make my life simpler if there was lots of inventory available all the time at, at levels that were consistent and that I could just deal with whatever the price changes in the metals were and, and, and go from there. But, so you know, always, yeah. Yeah. Always they say around. you want to live in exciting and interesting times and, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for. This is a, here's an email from KMF. <laughs> did, uh, did your guest claim that bullion sellers file tax forms on transactions? Yeah, we're required as a dealer, if someone sells me bullion, I am under a federal law requiring me to file a 1099B with the uh, social security number, uh, address and name of the person who I bought the bullion from really? and the amount I wrote the check for. And then it's up to that person to be able to say to the IRS that that's not all income because I have a cost basis. And I can prove that with this receipt for the purchase, which is interesting because imagine if it were, you know, a uh, uh, surreptitious acquisition of that gold, mm -hmm. how do you justify your cost basis 
which is what their effort is, is to try to curtail what's happening in that industry, which is uh, a lot more money laundering, you know, utilizing that market. And I've mentioned this because I think, uh, you know, Janet Yellen is testifying this morning. She's also mentioned that, you know, with this Russian situation, they're concerned about the cryptos being used for money laundering purposes and the oligarchs in Russia. So, you know, what they're leaning toward, and I am forecasting this, nobody has said this yet. When I say nobody, I mean, nobody within the government is saying this is going to be the case. I believe we will have reportable transactions in cryptos the same way they do cash transactions. What they'll do is they'll make the transaction itself reportable. So if you want to buy a car with your Bitcoin and it's more than, let's say, $10,000 in value, the transaction will become reportable. Sure. And, and right now, I think even on last year's tax return, if I recall, they have it right there that you you need to report any buy or sell cryptocurrencies. Yep. It's right they're already asking so yeah, that, come on. You yeah. know, they're kind of laying out the foundation to say, uh, we have records now that you indicated in 2022 that you bought X amount of this cryptocurrency. So... But you know, where'd the money come even, from? Even if they have people are buying and selling crypto that are private, I don't know if Bitcoin is or not, or who knows. It's still, according to Title 26, you know, whether or not the law is constitutional or not, they claim that you buy and sell something and you make a profit, you got to pay tax on it. That's, their, that's it. their law. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Right. Even if they don't have a record of it, it's up to you if you want to play that game, well, go ahead. You know, I don't recommend it. But, but watch what changes when it becomes federally regulated. Uh, now, what do you mean? It's one thing when so I you, ask you to report it voluntarily. It's right. another thing when, when you're required to. Oh, so that you think that they're going to say to Bitcoin and Ethereum or whatever. Um, but these are all, oh, it would have to happen on the exchange, right, where you buy the Bitcoin, where they're going to mandatory. I think they'll do it on the dealer side, the same way they're doing it to us sure. in the bullion world. You know, they'll do it to the automobile industry, sure. uh, whatever they want to do it to. And they'll simply say, you know, yeah, you can sell that Tesla for, whatever. you know, X number of Bitcoin. But if somebody does know. that, yeah. got to be reported. We just need to know. Well, the day are long gone when the, the Bitcoin thing of what, 2008, when we first heard about it, that it's all private and all that. They're long. That's long gone, right? I mean, that was. Yeah, I, I think that, that was, was one of the bound not to last. <laughs> that was one of that was one of the ideas that get the people were excited about. Oh, this is private, you know, thinking that they well, you know, you know, you poke the bear enough, and uh, and eventually, yeah. you know, the bear will turn around and bite you. So there is no way, historically, that anything is going to be used as money for transactions that the federal government does not get its piece of. Of course, it will not allow anything to come into play that subverts their ability to be able to monitor transactions because they need or want to know everything. They really do. So, you know, in the old days when there were thousand dollar bills that were in print and, you know, you could move a million dollars worth of cash around between banks and between Mm -hmm. individuals without any reporting, you know, lots of commerce was being conducted without being reported. Well, they locked that down. And when, you know, other people moved to things like bars of gold and did the same thing, trying to conduct commerce privately with bars of gold. Well, the next thing you know, that industry got regulated. So I, I think that sure. it just seems natural to me that the crypto will follow the same pattern. 
they're control freaks. You know, that's, this is what they do for a living. Yeah. 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 What, what are you going to do? You know, is, we, we don't care what you do. We just want to know about we it. Just want to know about <laughs> it. Fred in the real world of money. So before we go, we need, really need to talk about Ruska. So what do you make of this where Putin is now uh, uh, getting gold and, and Bitcoin and uh, rubles for his gas and his oil and his minerals and his wheat? What do you make of this? What do you think this is going to do to the price of gold at this spot price? Anything? Well, yeah, you know, again, it's interesting. Uh, you try to push um, Russia by saying, OK, we're going to institute a lot of regulations to prevent you from being able to conduct commerce one way or the other. We're going to try to curtail your ability because, you know, we're aggravated at, at the way you're acting. So right. we're going to punish you by instituting rules. OK, so they're going to push back. Um, you know, what Russia did that was interesting, for example, they removed the VAT, you know, the value added tax on gold off of the purchase of gold with yeah. Russian rubles. Yeah. Now, there were rumors that were circulating that they had turned around and backed the ruble with gold. That's not true. That's not true. What they did is they removed the VAT, which is significant because the VAT is very expensive. So, you know, European countries have used value added tax, and we've considered that in the United States as an alternative to an income tax. Instead of taxing your income, what we would do is make expensive items. Uh, you'd have to pay an extra tax. So if you bought that $100,000 car, you'd have to pay an extra maybe 15% or 20% or 30% on top of the price as your VAT, your value-added tax. Well, Russia had this. If you bought gold with rubles, there was a VAT. So it became much more expensive to try to buy gold in rubles than any other currency which kind of took away the incentive of foreign countries to want to hold rubles. If they couldn't convert it into gold at their discretion, you know, it limited the incentive. So Russia decided as one method of trying to push back against the Western markets that are trying to push them, he said, we'll remove this value-added tax off of the purchases of gold. So, so they did do that. And that means that you can now use rubles to buy gold without having to pay the extra VAT on top. And mm -hmm. that was to encourage other countries that they're trying to align themselves with uh, to hold rubles. Because look, honestly, would you want to hold rubles as a store of wealth right now? I mean, oh, you, so, know. you mean so China, India, and Iran, and the sure. other people that are playing around Poland. Saudi with Arabia, whoever they Saudi want to Arabia. align yeah. themselves with. You know, right. they had to create an incentive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that would put more rubles into the bank, which they wanted too. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Support for their own country's currency. And mm -hmm. they need that because if no one will respect their currency enough to want to hold it, then, you know, by default, we know that the U.S. dollar is not great, but it is still the world's reserve currency for good reason. We still have the best economic environment, the most stable you know, currency in the world. So people will constantly utilize U.S. dollars. And of course, you know, we know after Bretton Woods in 1944, we did require every country that signed off on the agreement to have to stockpile U.S. dollars, which is what preserves the dollar's world's reserve status. So Russia would like to see more countries willing to hold the ruble. But again, it's a risky currency right now that, you know, you're not going to be able to convince people readily to do that, especially if there's a VAT on the ability to so convert it. You decide it's falling but and you, you want to buy gold. Well. But, you know, the ruble went right back up to where it was pre-war already. I mean, it didn't take them long yeah. to move right back up. Yeah. Did you see the graph on it? Went boop. I did. Right back up. Like, but uh, so, 
And they don't. But still, you would have to agree it's kind of risky. Well, yeah. I mean, well, everything's risky these days, right? I mean, what currency isn't? I mean, with the dollar, sure. geez. <laughs> you just talked to us for an hour and told us why the dollar's not worth squat. So, you right. know, what are you going to do? You know, buy gold and so. So what about... Worthless, the, but not worthless. Yeah, that's what Andrew used to say, remember? It's not going to be worthless, yeah, but it's going to be key. worth less, right? Yeah, for those people that are drawing the line out and thinking that this also translates into, you know, that I'm trying to suggest that the dollar is worthless or will become worthless, uh, I want to be clear, I, I don't believe that that's the case. Yes, sir. I think the dollar survives just in a much weaker form, and that's what people should expect. And... Also, a lot of people are, are, you know, becoming so concerned about the geopolitical market environments that they're speculating. And I think that is a dangerous thing to do for investors. Even in my industry, I do not encourage people to speculate on short-term market corrections or activity based upon what's happening right now. And I get calls every day. What do you mean? Oh, Give us an idea of what you mean. Well, somebody calls me and says, I have a couple hundred thousand dollars in cash. I want to buy gold or silver today because I think next week the dollar is going to fall apart. Oh, I see. And I will tell those people, don't do this. Don't do it. I'm turning away hundreds and hundreds of thousands in business. Really? Because I will not accept the notion that people should be doing this short-term speculation that something's going to change dramatically in the next week or even three, five months. If you're not prepared to recognize that there value growth of gold and silver coins is something predicated on the idea of letting inflation erode paper money over time and holding on to this stuff for five years or so as a as a method of the way that you should approach it i don't think people should get involved in mm. it I, again i just want to dissuade people from getting over aggressive about speculating because they're hearing so much and I mean, it's hard not to feel this way. I get it. Yeah. I mean, if you turn on the news, well, don't. Try, I mean, you don't, can't don't listen that. to it for more than ten or fifteen minutes. Everything is alarming. Everything is, you oh, know, man. urgent. Yeah. It's and something else. Breaking news, yeah. and you know, you would think after fifteen minutes that the world was coming to an end. Yeah. And if you didn't watch the news for a couple of weeks, amazingly, nothing really really changes. But if you watched it on a day-to-day -day basis, even for an hour or so, boy, I mean, you'd walk away thinking that the world was going to collapse tomorrow. And we constantly get people that are that concerned and really worried about this collapsing dollar to the point of zero. Yeah. Again, I don't believe that that will ever be the case. I think the dollar will always be around, just progressively getting weaker and weaker. Just slowly becoming worthless, not worthless. Yeah. And then, and then someday, uh, maybe it doesn't. Not the world's reserve currency. Who knows? It's always a possibility. Always possibility. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen in the next 10 years or, or anytime sooner. Again, the U.S. has got this lockdown way more than people understand. They are not going to allow the status of the world reserve currency for the U.S. dollar to fade away. Dollar Inc. is well established. And trust me, when you think about you know what they are willing to do for anybody that pokes that bear... I mean, we've watched dictators who just suddenly, you know, their country gets liberated. Thought about uh, because a dinar, right? A gold dinar, whatever. Yeah, just yeah, thought about. All you have to do just is think about create it. a problem big enough to where you're a risk, and suddenly Boy, hello. Uh, a whole rationale gets put together for why you need to go. Hello, you know, your dictatorship is. Yeah. Uh, it's always about you know protecting the people of your country. It's yeah. never about the fact that 
you're threatening the U.S. dollar status. They won't admit to that. So they'll come up with another pretense. But, you know, historically, this has happened numerous times. I mean, you know, everything from Muammar Gaddafi, you know, right to Saddam Hussein, you know, all the way down the line, anybody who pokes the bear uh, will feel the brunt. And I don't think the U.S. dollar ink boys are going to stand for anything. Well, there's anybody. a lot of people arguing that that's what a lot of this whole Ukraine thing is about because they well, just sure. don't like the fact that Putin's kind of an independent nationalist guy and doesn't want NATO on his front door, and they don't like it. And, you know? I don't blame them. I don't blame them. I mean, Putin's no <laughs> saint. Believe me, he's a dictator like the rest of them. But, Absolutely. Uh, you know, come on. But you can understand, uh, you know, no. what a difficult position they're in. Sure. You know, how much, if you were an independent nation, you know, the nation of Patrick, you know, how far could you go pushing back against uh, trying to convince everybody that you want to work with to not use U.S. dollars? I mean, you just yeah. keep running into roadblocks. Yeah, yeah. But, but these sanctions are not doing a whole lot. I mean, Russia's still surviving, and I don't know what's going on. I, I, I read the other day, Fred, he's got like an 80% approval rating. Of course, that could all be made up. You don't know if that's... You know, uh, I, I would think so, yeah. 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 I, 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 don't know. I don't buy that for a moment. Except who knows what they're hearing. Sure. Yeah, they control you know, the media. So, so when you whatever. get an approval rating from a country that controls the media, uh, all they're going to be like, all we hear on the news these days is, is the how bad everything is. Well, yeah. all they're hearing about is how wonderful Putin is, right? Right. Powerful leader fighting against the, yeah. you know, the treacherous Western powers. So, but, yeah. But I would um, think that old Vlad, though, wouldn't have done any of this. He's not stupid. And I don't think, Fred, that he would, would not know what was going to come his way by doing what he's doing because he didn't want NATO in there, right? He's got to have yeah, China. He he's got to have China's back, yes. right? I think with some of this stuff, he's selling oil to China. He's selling sure. He's selling oil to India, and uh, now the Iran right. deal's falling apart. He's going to probably sell them oil, and they're going to sell for rubles and whatever. He'll he'll figure it out. I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Well, he has that great tool at his disposal, right? They do produce monstrous amounts of oil, of oil in Russia, oil. and he can offer to sell it to people who will work with him for, let's say, less than market value, just which to is encourage what he's them doing. to say, which is what he's doing. with me, yeah. right? And yeah, so he'll build himself a coalition, but again, it'll only go so far. Did you see where Saudi Arabia actually uh, raised the oil prices? Because <laughs> Putin was lowering their oil prices? Yes. Saudi Arabia. They made, the, the Saudi minister made an argument that lowering prices would end up increasing the cost of gas. What? I didn't quite follow the logic well, there. You don't know what these people are smoking out over there, man. <laughs> yeah, made the point that there was a good reason to raise the price. So, yeah, yeah. Hey. Uh, uh, oh, oh, this is a good one from Carol. What does Fred think about the central bank digital currency uh, that is coming, and what will this do to the dollar? Will it exist in? parallel with the dollar thanks for the show okay we talked a bit about it central bank digital currency cbdc's it's certainly yeah, coming somewhere yeah. i mean you know it is right i don't well, know what it's going to look you know, like it seems it seems logical to me that if you you know sort of look at the technology that the movement for uh our dollar to not take the physical form of paper and to eventually become a completely digital format 
I, you know, I can't suggest that that doesn't hold up fairly well. It, it seems like why wouldn't they? Right? I think over time that 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 you know seems a, a likely scenario. It may or may not occur, but I do think the possibility there is stronger than some of the other things that uh, uh, people have suggested. What it'll do, though, is really difficult for the average American on a couple of fronts. The first thing is. Number one, as a country, we lose all the transparency in how much money is really in our economic environment. You know, how are we really going to know if it's gone digital? What really exists? Because if we don't have to go through the cycle of the Federal Reserve writing a check to the Treasury, mm -hmm. buying a bond, goes on its balance sheet, which we can count, look at the interest payments, follow how much money the Fed has spent, kind of and everything it out. like that. Yeah, kind of figure it out like we do we today. If we can't see that anymore... Right. How do we know? And that disturbs me. Hmm. The second thing that I think is even more critical, um, and, and this is going to go down a, a really bad path here, but it's the fact that individual transactions will lose all their trans all, all privacy is gone. Everything. Right? If everything is digital, that means they also know every single transaction you've made from large transactions like the purchase of cars and homes to you're buying a pizza at your local pizza shop. And does that translate into government control? You think? This is my concern, yeah, is that I will agree. they utilize that ability to have that lock on what we do in digital currencies to say, okay, Patrick, um, we're going to deny your transaction for the purchase of that pizza because we've checked your medical records and, and your cholesterol is too high. <laughs> that's right. So, you know that's coming, uh, Freddie. You know it's coming. Right? I mean, so, right? So suddenly now they're going to curtail mm -hmm. activity mm -hmm. because they can control the currency that you're using to do those transactions. Right. I, I, I know that that is a somewhat conspiracy theorist yeah, type well, of idea. I don't think it's a stretch. But the, the stretch to say to me, if you offer the government that much information that they won't abuse it, <laughs> history suggests otherwise. <laughs> and if they give away these digital currency things, right, right through their phone, if you behave, whatever, get a vax or I don't know, whatever they do, you know they're going to do that. And you know people will take those, those things because they want them. They'll do it. Well, again, you know, how do they provide uh, and promote technology? It's always on the basis of ease. ease. It's always on the basis of, well, this is better. This is easier. This phone, right? And they will sell it on the pretense that we're making commerce easier to conduct. Sure. You know, it's always going to be the convenience factor that is going to outweigh the privacy issue for people. Sure. Because people don't perceive the privacy problem until it's too late. Yeah but they will immediately see the benefit of the ease of the transaction. So the convenience factor is the selling point. And that's what's gonna get everybody. Uh, it's the same way that Google and Facebook operate. It's the ease of communication that allows everybody to want to publicly provide these companies with all of your private information. Because you and I will definitely agree on this. 20 years ago, if, if prior to Google and prior to Facebook, I said to you, Patrick, I would like a world where everybody in America tells me uh, where they work, where they like to go to eat, how much money they spend on all these different products. Tell me everything that you like and don't like about products you buy. I want a list of all your friends. I want to know <laughs> what they all do. 
I want pictures of every one of your family, friends, and everything that they do. <laughs> I want to follow your, your movement through your phone and your car. I want to record everything that you do on the internet for private searches. I want to know everything that you buy. I want to know your political position. And I want you to voluntarily provide me all of that information. You'd have looked at me like I was from Mars. You would have thought that was insane. You would have thought, who would ever voluntarily would ever do that? do that? And look what's and happening And yet, look today. at where we are. Yeah. Look at what's happening. Watch. So it's this convenience factor that concerns me about the digital currency, because I think the same pattern will apply. We'll be sold on the convenience, and they'll argue, you know, it'll, it'll prevent money laundering, or prevent illegal transactions, or, you know, whatever they, they sell it as. And then before we know it, we find ourselves subject to a government mm -hmm. dictating uh, our lives because they control our money. So is that what Janet Yellen is talking about uh, and now about the cryptos and the money laundering and the and all of that? Is, uh, is that their meme they're going with? Yeah, only to the point of dealing with the oligarchs in Russia. Oh, the oligarchs. Uh, in other words, oh. she's only addressing this now from that standpoint. Yeah. But again, a lot of people translate that in their minds and saying, yeah, how far is it going to go before, you know, we see a digital currency in the United States forced upon the public. You know, it's not like we're going to have a choice. If they decide to do this, they're not going to offer you an option. I assure you, it'll be, you know, you do it or you don't. Fred, this may be above your pay grade, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but so what do you think this whole thing about the Dollar Inc. people, uh, and well, even in the United States and this whole thing with Putin, and like he's the devil and you got to go, I mean, what's going on what, in your opinion? What do you think? I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear you. What do you think it's about? This whole thing that we have to, Putin and they're getting the oligarchs and they want to do everything they can to, what do you think this is about? You're personally, you know, what do you think? You've been, you've historically, been, we'll have to look back and see how this all plays out. But I, I think what we have here is, you know, kind of straightforward. I mean, Putin made a decision that, um, he wants to reincorporate Ukraine as part of what was the former Soviet Republic. You know, he sees them as a major stepping stone to increasing his power. And they were perhaps that thorn in his side, you know, standing independent. And now after having made that decision, you know, I'm not sure that he really was clear about how far the West would, you know, go in response. I, I, I've heard things from people, and again, I don't put credence in this one way or the other, but the prevailing mentality is that he did not think that the West would stand up to him, that we would just simply let this go, that we wouldn't do anything when he invaded Ukraine. Because remember, two days before he invaded, he said, I'm not invading Ukraine. Of course, well, <laughs> politicians that, always we're do not that, invading. Right? No. We're but, not amassing troops on the border. No, yeah, I, I don't the, know what you're the, talking about. The NATO deal, though, there's a lot of people that argue opposite of what you've just said, that it wasn't about, he wasn't interested in, the only reason he was taking, wants to take over Ukraine, this is the other argument, is that the United States put in Yazoo, what's his face, in 2014. That was a coup. I mean, you can go on YouTube and hear the phone call with Victoria Newland. They put him in, and the guy in 2014, they put in Zelensky, and, and, um, he didn't want NATO in there, and that was his argument for years. He said, "Just well, again, that, that's that an interesting argument, um, right?" That may be the case. I, I did not follow um, what was happening in Russia prior to this with any real degree, so 
Uh, I'm not as familiar with the, let's say, the buildup to what what brought us to this point. So I am coming at this like a lot of people, okay. kind of after the fact and, and been and keeping up with results. it. Yeah, yeah. United yeah, States just, put just in. To be honest with you. The United States put in uh, Yazo, what's his name, and then they put in Zelensky, and uh, and uh, you know. He doesn't want those rockets on his border. And they got 250 miles of, of, of border with Ukraine. And, uh, you know, Russia's sure. got this long history of being invaded. You know, uh, Richard Mayberry was on a show and said that, that Hitler killed 20 million Russians in World War II. 20, yes, he did. 20, People forget that. 20 million Russians. Right. Again, I know Putin's no angel, but, you know, I, I think there's a whole lot more to it, you know, and... Um, many people are talking about. What does Fred think about the currency called Goldback from Cindy in Alabama? Goldback? I never heard that one. Goldback? Is there such a thing? Mm, don't know. It's probably a new one. Uh, I don't know. Goldback? I don't know. Well, things are popping up left and right. And I, I will say one thing, that it's interesting to me that um, any of these things are even happening because to me it's an indication of that lack of confidence that people are having in the dollar yeah you know if, if you were comfortable with the dollar why would you look elsewhere so i think all of these are indications that there is a prevailing lack of confidence that's growing growing uh, a lot more suspicion amongst the average american about the nature of money and unfortunately some of them do fall down the conspiracy theory rabbit holes and uh, you know it's hard not to but I think the point is still well made that there are reasons that people are looking at alternatives. It's because I think they're beginning to recognize there is a flaw in, in yeah. the way we're operating as a country. And it's becoming difficult for the average American because the size of the problem has gotten really large. You know, it's, it's out of control. There were points that we still could have managed a lot of these issues in reasonable fashion without danger to the entire economic structure. Now we're facing problems that are so big, you know, we have too big to fail banks, we have entire economic environments that are teeter-tottering on disaster, you know, you have countries that are imploding, uh, massive revolts, you know, around the world whenever the currency problems become exacerbated and the government takes its extreme actions to fight the problems. You know, we've yet to really experience anything like that in America, but uh, I do think, again, as we talked about earlier, the inflation problem right now is so clear that even those people that are not normally inclined to follow the broader economic stuff uh, can see that there's something going on. Yeah. I wonder what the real inflation number is. Last time we checked shadow stats, they said I it's say 15. it's twice what they report. Yeah, that, that, that shadow stats says is 15%. So it's probably Yeah, close. so they say 7.5. Yeah. I think 15 is more accurate. Whoa. You know, I said a, a couple of couple of interviews before this with you that uh, mm -hmm. I thought that there would be about a 30% increase from two years ago to now. I remember. And the average consumer's life in, in just general goods and services. And I, I think that's turned out to be quite quite accurate. I, I feed Doodle grass-fed organic beef, you know. She's uh, she's living large, man. That's what she eats. And it's gone up $2 a pound. Well, two in the last two months. $2 a pound yeah. gone up. They just raise it up. <clears throat> well, they, you know, you just can't keep printing money as a response to every economic problem 
without an expectation that it's going to have an impact. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not the government that feels that impact. It's the public. No, they don't feel it. You know, it's the person who's just trying to save and just put a dollar away for their future. You know, what's interesting to me is I have a lot of really young customers now. Yeah, do you? Um, and a lot of a lot of families that have younger kids that are beginning to learn this sort of stuff. And, you know, some of the small uh, preteens are saying, hey, uh, yeah, you know, give me a silver dollar. Give me a half a dollar to put away. No kidding. You know, they're becoming aware and interested in the idea of, of real money. I think that's great. Hmm. I, I always pose this question to people, and I guess, you know, looking at this broad situation, where is your money and, and what form is it? Mm-hmm. What does it constitute in real world terms? Where so is it? Yeah, what just is think it? about that in, think in terms it. of what you're saving. And people say, well, I got stock, so I got this. But what is that? Is it a piece of paper? Yeah. Is it a promise? Um, you know? And somebody put a thing on Facebook, uh, on my Facebook was, there's no such thing as government funded. It's all taxpayer funded. Don't you love that one? That's a good well, one. That's absolutely right. That's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. <laughs> right? Who pays for all this stuff? You know, it's not like the government, uh, Congress says, oh, okay, take this out of my salary right, and fund the, this program. <laughs> you do, you, do you see where uh, now, now Biden's talking about uh, uh, continuing the uh, moratorium on the payments for all the student loans, too? So I don't know where that yep. money comes from. That's coming from somewhere, right? Somewhere. Well, you like know, you again, say, it's cooking the books. A real big problem right? is this gap in government spending versus what they need. Right. So they have to kind of make contrition somewhere. Yeah. You know, they have to say, well, we have to either cut this or cut that, and you know, then it becomes a political game. So now we get down to uh, the particular decisions, which are based more on the political. So you, you know, we talked earlier about you know how much influence does a president have on an economy. What impact does an administration really have? A lot of that comes down to those particular kinds of decisions. Sure. You know, uh, do we give the benefit to the corporations? Do we give the benefits to the wealthy people? Do we give the benefit to the poor? You know, who gets the benefit? Because we have to make some cut somewhere. You just can't continue to operate under the pace we are. So politically, you just have to pick your third rail and say, you know, what's the least dangerous thing I can do to maintain support within my party and still somehow try to actually do something to make this economic environment better. It's just a hard, and I hard would, position Freddie, to be I would, in. I would argue there's going to be a lot more free stuff between now and November because they're going to get their booties kicked anyway. And so I think they're going to try to give away a lot of stuff just to maybe make, eke out a few wins you know, well, in this midterm. you know, if they do, it's just a matter of more money being printed. Of course, so that's just the sort whole of point. Like, yeah. Here's reemphasizes a, my position diversify a, your wealth and make sure you include that that tangible asset as a part of what you put away long term final email then we'll let you go back to selling and buying gold and silver coins uh from the uk if fed had to put a finger on it how long would he say this inflationary period will last who well that's a great question <laughs> it is a good um, question i don't know that's a great question because the Fed has argued uh, last year that it would have been gone by now. So it was all transitory last year. Uh, that didn't hold up. So now we're past that point. So now we're at how long will it take the Fed to fight off the inflation? It's a function of how quickly they can raise interest rates without sending their economy into a recession. Mm-hmm. Um, so that puts us out, you know, 
if we go based upon Brainerd's uh, recent Fed comments, he said they want to start aggressively quantitative tightening as early as May. Less money printing. So starting next That's month. That's what that means, right? Less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is reducing this monster balance sheet of nine trillion dollars. Okay. Now, the Fed means that means that the Fed's going to try to sell into the open market some of these debt instruments that it has acquired mm-hmm. at the same time that the government needs to raise more money for its own deficit spending problems. I don't see the two of them being able to be simultaneously productive. I don't think you can do quantitative tightening while a government is trying to sustain a deficit spending problem by trying to sell more debt. You're fighting two things again. It's Which like is why a lot of people road. are arguing, Fred, that they're not going to do it. They're just not going to. I think it's going to be problematic. Yeah, so yeah. the short answer is at the pace that they're suggesting at the Fed, yeah. they're talking at least two years wow. before they can reduce the balance sheet back to where it was pre-pandemic. But then the, wouldn't the interest rates go all the way up to maybe, I yes, mean, I'm sorry. Yes, the, I mean, I'm not sorry, interest rates, but could, but interest rates and inflation could go higher just like they did in the 70s when gold went from right. $35 to $850. Thus the conundrum that the I have conundrum. laid out and suggested that I don't believe the Fed can do this. I wow. don't think it can pull this magic trick off. I don't think it can simultaneously reduce $5 trillion off its balance sheet right. and raise interest rates and not send the country spinning into a recession. I don't think it can pull it off. Can't do it. How could they do it? So the math doesn't work. Two does years it? minimum hmm. for the inflation rate uh, to begin to subside. And then whether it subsides after that, you know, I'm not convinced it's going to slow down significantly. The Fed, just like they were convinced last year that all this was transitory, now they're convinced that this 7.5% inflation that they're reporting, which we believe to be 15, yes, is going to magically fade away on its own within the next year or two. People are, aren't going to lower their prices. I'm having a hard time with Just that. for fun? You think the meat guy that I buy from is going to say, well, okay, I'm going to lower it back down. Why would they? Yeah. Why would Why? they? Why? Because the Fed raised rates a quarter point? No. No. Yeah, I don't get it either. So yeah. two years minimum at the current levels, we should see a slowdown of inflation after that. But how much is going to be dependent upon how the Fed manages this quote-unquote soft landing, whether they can pull it off. And I will just say, historically, the Fed has a horrible, horrible history <laughs> of, doing, of attempting to do something this difficult. Doing, some, doing something right. Wow. And they've never tried it with, with numbers this large, by the way. Never, ever, ever close. And, and so, But if mortgage rates go to 10 or whatever they did in the 80s, uh, Late seventies, it was up to about fifteen, right? What would, what's it, what would that do, do to the housing market? And that's a huge deal, isn't it? With GDP. And well, all the that? housing market is really. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, got a big problem. It's going to slow down some of the purchases for sure. It's got to. But there is still a housing shortage. No. Oh. So you've got a kind of a, a dual-edged sword there as well, in that you've got a lot of people that need a place to live. All right. There aren't sufficient homes available. The builders are saying that they're looking to build millions and millions of homes in America to to uh, help you know supply places for people to go, and yet they're going to try to sell them when interest rates continue to climb and the mortgage rates go up and the expense of that mortgage climbs. 
I don't know how successful that It looks like a disaster be. in the making with a million homes that nobody wants at 10%. You could end up with a lot of overvalued more, 30, real estate. 30-year 30, 30 uh, fixed, right? Or 10 or 15%. Yeah. Who can afford that? Nobody. Again, it's going to be very problematic. We're in a very unusual economic environment I think people now. should buy gold and silver. I don't know about you, but I'm just, I'm just thinking. Uh, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> I think I might get in that business. You should probably get in that business. I think people like buying gold and silver yeah. coins. All right, Fred, I'll let you go. i got to go, too, and I'm going to go on and do a show. So tell folks, let me pull up your your thing again and tell folks about your company before we let you go here. There you are. Yeah, U.S. Coin Capital. So uh, well situated now to help educate people on how to properly acquire physical gold and silver coins. Um, we are constantly working with uh, the market and trying to provide the best inventory um, and value for various parts of the silver and gold market. What we do is physical. You as the customer get the actual physical gold and silver coins delivered right to your doorstep and give us a call uh, we'll be happy to help educate you on how to do this properly and work with uh, both the novice and the uh, well-educated investor but i do believe for everybody it's diversification is the key to success we don't know what any economic environment is going to be in the future for certain we do know historically though that being diversified is the smartest play and so if you want to talk to fred his number is 800-878 2646. You got a team there? Team to take some calls. You got a team to take some calls. All right, kid, buy low and sell high. Is that what you want? Okay, yeah, do that. I'll see you, Fred. Thanks for being here. It was a great show. All right, Patrick. Good job. Yeah, great show. Take care. Fred Jaszewski, Patrick Timpone, Red One Radio Network.com. Good man. Yeah, it's, it's a good company. And as you heard Fred say so eloquently during the show, that so he has people call him up and say, hey, they say, hey, um, I, I think gold is going to go up, so I'm going to buy a bunch and then I'm going to sell it in a month. And Fred doesn't even want to sell it to him because he, you know, he could and make money, but he doesn't think that's a good idea because it's not a good idea. So this is the kind of fellow you want to work with, right? Not somebody who's going to sell you whatever you want, even if it's stupid. So, um, you know, check him out. He's a great man, as you heard. 800-878-2646. Tell him we sent you. Take extra good care of you. And uh, get yourself some, stash it away. Put it in your underwear drawer. Put in a waterproof thing and bury it in your yard. You'll be fine. Nobody's going to know it's there. And Or get a safe or whatever. Okay, you know what? We're going to come back and, and play around, and we're going to talk about the winds of change going on on this earth plane. And I'm going to just run downstairs, grab a banana, maybe a little bit of colostrum, about 10 minutes. I'll be right back. Stay there. You want to call? 888-663-6386 and talk, and we'll chat it up a little bit on this Wednesday, the 6th of April. I love you all. Thank you for your support, really. Uh, I, I say this a lot, but I really mean it. Without you all, we say you all in Texas, without you all um, buying the products that we promote, uh, we wouldn't be here. That's just the way we are able to make our house payment. Just what we do. So thank you. I love you. And we're going to see you in a few moments. We'll be back. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is One Radio Network. 
www.thepowerofpowerpodcast.com.